been a powerful sermon series so far. There's been so much fruitfulness that I've been hearing about people taking a leap of faith and trusting Jesus with broken relationships and trying to restore relationship. And uh, for this week, uh, I was gone all this last week and asked uh, one of my good friends and a mentor of mine, John Whitaker, to come and, and preach for me. And uh, he agreed. And um, John is uh, a, a, a disciple of Jesus who wants to make disciples of Jesus and is a, an amazing teacher and has an amazing uh, website, johnwicker.net, has a bunch of discipleship resources and, and uh, a great, um, not only man of God who, who believes in what we believe in and making disciples and make disciples, but also has provided tremendous resources for, for you to grow as a disciple of Jesus and help churches grow in making disciples. And so um, I'm really excited for him to be here this this morning as he continues our sermon series this morning and uh, I'm not going to keep talking I'm going to give the rest of the time to him will you please give a huge warm welcome to my friend John Wicker this morning thanks uh, Justin appreciate that um if I could mention one other bit of my website, I've got two websites. One is johnwhitaker.net. If you're wanting just straightforward Bible teaching, um, then I've got another one called uh, listenerscommentary.com. And it's a, I'm creating an audio commentary on the New Testament where uh, if you want to just straight teaching through Bible books. So I've got nine New Testament books done. I'm halfway through the Gospel of Luke and uh, just trying to pro- put resource out there that one, you can use for your own spiritual growth, but two, you could also use for other people's spiritual growth. And so some of those uh, book studies um, there on listener's commentary are being used in small groups, are being used in one-on-one discipleship relationships, and people are studying the Bible together. So both those places, net and listenerscommentary.com, have some resources that can help you both study the Bible and help other people's grow in their faith as well. So, all right, this uh, series that you guys are in Burn and relational hurt and one of the things I've always appreciated about Justin and this particular congregation is the emphasis on relationships it's even in your your handout this morning right like you look at what real life is all about and we're all about relationships because we're made for relationships and we're not meant to do life alone and all that sort of stuff right and if that's true like if we're made for relationships then why in the world are relationships so doggone hard right like if we're just honest it, it seems like if we're made for that, it should be a whole lot easier than it is. Um, and the reality is, it's just not. Relationships are hard. Um, and as you go through the seasons of life, we have people at different stages of the seasons of life in the room. If you go, as you go through the seasons of life, um, it, it's pretty easy to experience relational hurt. True? Um, And so this series is really intended to speak into that. And what I've been asked specifically to address is the topic of bitterness. One of the ways relational hurt sometimes affects us is we get bitter. We get bitter. And somebody once said that being bitter is a recipe for an unhappy life. Just being a bitter person, like taking relational hurt and absorbing it into our soul and responding to it by resentment and bitterness is a perfect recipe for an unhappy life. And it's true. It's true. Bitter people are unhappy people. Maybe that's you. (laughs) 
right? That's not a criticism, right? That's just a reality. And all of us at various times in our life, we, we could slip into that. We could get bitter. And then we have to decide what to do about that. Are we going to continue to be bitter and let the unhappiness continue to grow and seep out and leak out all over all our other relationships or not? Um, and the fact is, is just life, everybody's life, has that opportunity to be bitter. To be bitter. Um, that, that's because of things like just disappointment and loss. Like this isn't even like intentional attacks. This is just life. Disappointment and loss. Where just this week, my wife's uncle died. That's loss. How are we going to deal with that? Right? Um, careers. You have career dreams and hopes, and maybe they come crashing down around you. Loss. Um, you, you, you have friends that move away, and yes, you're still friends, but now they're a thousand miles away, and it's really hard to be together, and it hurts, and it stings, and it's loss, right? Like, you had, when you were, you know, 22, 23, 24, you look towards your future, you had all these dreams, now you're 40-something, you look back, and you're like, yeah, most of those dreams didn't work out. My wife said that last night, you know, most of my dreams just haven't worked out. Loss. Right? Like, we just have that. We have loss in our life. And, like, as, you know, dreams keep getting crushed, as the realities of life move on and we all experience various losses, one way to respond to that is just getting bitter about life. Life just sucks. We get bitter. Disappointment, loss. Another thing that makes it possible for us to grow bitter is just hurt and wounds like wounds and wrongs that people actually do to us not just things that happen in life but when people intentionally wound us and wrong us like a, a friend doesn't just move away they stab you in the back and they right and, and and that relationship just implodes and it's like really like after all we've been through that uh, a marriage just ends in divorce and you're like when we stood up there and we gave our vows, that's not how I pictured that coming to an end. And now you've run off with her or you've gone off with him or you just said you don't want to deal with it anymore, right? Wounds and wrongs and they lead to bitterness. Um, you have people who say things about you behind your back. You have uh, your family of origin and some of the stuff that happened when you were growing up or some of the stuff that happened when you were a young adult with your family of or, or some of the stuff that's still happening right now with your family of origin, right? Bitterness. Bitterness is one way to respond to all that. Like, as we go through life, the reality is, is bitterness is a real possibility for all of us because life just presents plenty of opportunities to get bitter, to to grow angry and resentful and what bitterness is is it's it's anger that has come of age that's what bitterness is it's anger that has matured and settled in our soul and come of age and it just sits there and we're an angry person and and whether you want to self-assess or we, right, we look around at other people, like you, we can recognize it in ourselves. We can recognize it in other people. Like people who are just like, they, like, they react with angry outbursts and, and it's like, that did not seem to match the offense. There's probably some bitterness in the soul, right? 
Um, people that um, just hold lots of grudges, lots of grudges. They just, they're, they're this person and that person. You can't trust them and you can't, they hold lots of grudges. There's probably some bitterness in the soul from relational hurt and from loss and disappointment. Um, people who just feel like life has given them a raw deal and they deserve better and nothing ever works outright. There's probably some bitterness in the soul, right? We, we can recognize this. And the reality is, is, Bitterness destroys, destroys us, destroys families, it destroys our relationships. Bitterness is like an acid that just eats away at our life. It's like a poison that really just destroys all the good things in our life and destroys any joy that we could have had. It's a perfect recipe for an unhappy life. I, I can't help when I think about bitterness to think about Mr. Yuck. Yes, I'm dating myself. <clears throat> I don't know. I, do, I, I have no specific memories of Mr. Yuck. It's just whenever I see the Mr. Yuck sticker, like 1977, 1978, 1980 comes back to mind, and I'm sitting in my elementary school classroom again. So we must have talked about Mr. Yuck quite a bit. Um, and I happen to be... Uh, getting this picture for this slide this week when my, my granddaughter walked into my office at home and, and, and she saw the picture on the computer screen. What's that, Papa? <laughs> She's two and a half. I said, that's Mr. Yuck. So I explained to her what Mr. Yuck was, just like my, you know, fifth grade teacher might have explained to me or something. Like, that means if you ever see that sticker, which you never will because no one uses Mr. Yuck sticker anymore, but if you see the Mr. Yuck sticker, you stay away from that stuff. You don't drink it, right? Um, that's bitterness. It's bitterness. It's an acid. It's a poison that destroys our lives. And so when you encounter bitterness in yourself, when you see it in your soul, when you start realizing, why did I react like that? Or if you start hearing, whether out loud or thoughts in your head about stuff about you just feeling resentful about life and how it's given you a idea, that's Mr. Yuck. Stay away from it, right? It's bitterness. And it's, it's a perfect recipe for an unhappy life. So here's what I want to do today is I want to, I want to explore kind of like what, what we could think of as like our theological home as followers of Jesus that give us the resources in, in order to eliminate bitterness. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 says this. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every kind of malice. When you just listen to that list of words, those all kind of go together. Bitterness, rage, anger, malice, right? Mr. Yuck in the soul. Get rid of all of that. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so how can we do that, right? Like, like, since life presents so many opportunities for us to respond to it with bitterness, since there is real disappointment, real loss, real wrongs done to us, real betrayals, real wounds, right? How in the world can we live free of bitterness? That's what I want to answer today. How can we do that? And I want to present like... Uh, kind of like a theological framework, what I'm calling it our theological home that actually gives us the wherewithal to get rid of bitterness. 
Like, to go through life, to experience disappointment, to experience loss, to experience relational hurt, and not grow bitter. How can we do that? All right? And I, I think this is terribly important for us because life is going to present plenty of opportunities for us. So this is, this is crucial to us. And I want to set it in the context of uh, kind of a big theological framework because I am convinced after walking with Jesus for 35 years, I'm convinced that Jesus and, and his approach to life actually gives us the most important resources for dealing with relational hurt and eliminating bitterness. Okay? So that's what I want to do. And I want to read you a text that I think um, is at least one of the places where this, this theological framework shows up. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. This might be familiar. But now, faith, hope, and love remain. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Notice those three. Faith, hope, love. Faith, hope, love. This isn't the only place where they show up all together in the New Testament. They show up several places, all, not always in this order, but all together. Faith, hope, love. Love, hope, faith. Hope, faith, love. Right? They show up a variety of places all together in the New Testament. And obviously, they show up individually all throughout the New Testament. These three, in classic Christian history, are actually referred to as three, the, the three, the only three, the three theological virtues. Not just ethical virtues. These are the three theological virtues. They are the theological home in which we as followers of Jesus are supposed to live. And they're like our place to stand in this world that is full of loss, full of hurt, full of disappointment, and full of the possibility of bitterness. This is our place to stand. Faith, hope, love. So let's just explore each of these, all right? And just to help us think through how they can help us deal with uh, relational hurt. First, faith. Let's talk about it. When, when, when I am explaining faith in this context of bitterness and relational hurt, um, I, we're not talking about like just believing in God. We're not talking about believing in Jesus. Oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Oh, I believe in God. We're not talking about that. When we say faith, what we're talking about is deep relational trust that believes that God is good and wise even when things don't make sense. Deep relational trust that believes God is good and wise even when what seems like is happening in life, what seems like God is doing, doesn't make any sense. And again, there's going to be plenty of opportunities through the course of life where life doesn't make sense and God's involvement in our life doesn't make sense. You pray, and it seems like God doesn't hear and doesn't answer, doesn't do anything, right? Um, you, you, you think, I'm actually trying to do your will, God, and this is what happened to me, right? This is going to happen in life. And when we talk about faith, we're talking about this ability to say, I, I've got complete confidence in God. I don't always understand him. I don't always get what he's up to. Sometimes it seems like, God, you should really answer that prayer because it's totally in line with everything you've said and it makes good sense and now, you, you, right? and now you're not answering that prayer and that kind of makes me frustrated. I don't get it. But God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you're good, that you have my best interest at heart. I'm going to trust that you're wise, that you always know what's best for me. I'm going to trust you. That's what we're talking about by faith here, this ability to trust God even when life doesn't make sense and even when God doesn't make sense. 
Okay? Trust, faith. That's a key part of our, our theological home in which we stand. Like, okay, I, I'm going to go through life, and life's going to have its twists and turns, its up and downs, its frustrations, its disappointments, its losses. And I'm going to just trust that God knows what, he, what he's all about. This is all over the Psalms, by the way. You read the Psalms, this is everywhere, right? Like, God, where are you? Why are you silent? It doesn't make sense. But I put my hope in you and I trust in you, O Lord. It's all over the Psalms. The classic Psalm that if you grew up around the church, maybe you didn't, but if you grew up around the church, the classic Psalm is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Even, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when life doesn't make sense and nothing's going right, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? It's not because evil can't get you. I'll fear no evil. And it doesn't say, the next line is not, I'll fear no evil because I know nothing bad's going to happen to me. I know life is always going to make sense. I know it's always going to work. I know there's a silver lining behind every cloud. It doesn't say that. I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. For you're with me. That, like, so I trust you. I may be in the darkest valley and in the deepest storm, and life may, at this moment, really, really suck. But I'll fear no evil. Because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me, even in the middle of all my enemies. I, I'm taken care of. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's, that's deep relational trust. Even when there's enemies, even when life is dark, you're with me so I know I'll be okay in the long run. Right? Faith. That's what we're talking about. And when, when we, we talk about faith in this context of disappointment, loss, wrongs, and wounds, I can't help but picture Jesus on the night before his crucifixion in the garden of Gethsemane um, on his knees praying praying earnestly to God so overwhelmed and anxious and distressed by what's coming the next day because he knows what's happening right he knows what's about to happen so distressed that now the capillaries in his forehead are, are beginning to break and blood is mixing with his sweat he's so overwhelmed and in that moment, what does Jesus pray? Father, if possible, could we not do this? Could we not do this? But not what I want. What you want. I'm handing myself to you, and I trust you. I trust that if you think this is best, then okay. Okay, let's do this. Because I trust you. Deep relational trust. Faith. The second one is hope. Faith, hope, love. Hope. And when we're, we're talking about hope, again, we're not talking about this pie in the sky. I know everything's going to get better. I know everything's going to, you know, there's a silver lining behind every cloud. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about when we say hope in the Bible is this. We're saying that we are confident that in Christ... God is going to have a great happily ever after for all of his people. That's what we mean. And it doesn't mean necessarily in this life. 
This life may end, and there may not be a great happily ever after in this life. But we know that our life goes on beyond the here and now. Like, if you're, if you're in Christ, then 500 years from now, what will you be doing? Thousand years from now, what we, like, if you're in Christ, your life, you got 500 years, a thousand years, you got a lot of years left. So there will be a great happily ever after that God will write, not only for your individual story, but for all of our stories who are God's people. That's what we mean by hope. Like, that it, it will all work out in the end. It just may mean we die first. But here's the thing. We who follow Jesus know that, that after death there always comes resurrection. Resurrection. Like, that's, that's what we look forward to. Resurrection. And we know that, that there's literal resurrection for the people of God. There is a new heavens and a new earth in which everything will be right again. That, that there is a new body that is glorious and redeemed and perfect and doesn't wear out and die of disease and cancer and can't get hit by a car and killed. We know that that's coming. In Christ. That's what biblical hope is, is we have this great expectation that God's going to make everything new someday and he's gonna, he's going to, uh, there's going to be a brand new creation where everything works the way God wants it to work and everything is good and perfect and right. There's a great happily ever after coming for us. And again, this is all over, particularly the New Testament. It's everywhere in the New Testament. That's why the apostles could live with such courage in the face of opposition, persecution, threats, pain, and death. It's just all over the place. They, they were just convinced of that, that death leads to resurrection in Christ. Um, you have passages like Romans chapter 5 where like, we can proudly rejoice and celebrate even in our difficulties, disappointments, and hardships because of the hope that we have in Christ. Um, or Romans 8.28, alluded to in one of the songs we sang, that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And in context, that doesn't mean he's always going to work everything for good between now and the time you die. In context, it means, guess what? You read the verses before, there's a new earth, a, a new heaven and a new earth. There's a new body coming. There's a new world coming. So in the meantime... We may have to wait. But God will work everything out for good. There is a great happily ever after for God's people. One of my favorite passages related to this hope is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Right in the middle of that, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 17. Like momentary light afflictions. And we're like, hold on, Paul. It doesn't feel very momentary and it certainly doesn't feel very light right now. Well, momentary light afflictions cannot compare to the eternal weight of glory. When you picture a balance scale, your afflictions, you pile them on, your hardships, you pile them on the balance scale. They look so heavy and so weighty until you pile on the other side what God is preparing for his people. And when you pile what God is preparing onto the scale, first, it's like those afflictions hardly weigh anything hardly weigh anything as mother Teresa once said like when we look at uh, when we look at eternity and everything God's preparing for his people and when we get there and we experience and see everything he's doing and we look back at the afflictions of our life it'll be like one bad night in a cheap hotel 
Again, this provides the theological home in which we can go through life and not grow bitter. Because we know God is going to work it all out for good in the long run. He will make everything new someday. And so we don't grow bitter. Again, I think of Jesus. Um, On his way to the cross, carrying his cross through Jerusalem, and on his way to the cross, and the author of Hebrews says that Jesus, on his way to the cross, knowing he was going to be resurrected. He knew resurrection was coming. He had this great hope, right? He knew that was going to happen. So on his way to the cross, the author of Hebrews says, for the joy, not in the moment of the pain, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the glory of God. Hope gives us the ability to deal with the the disappointment, the losses, and the pain of life in such a way that we know resurrection's coming, and so we don't have to grow bitter. We don't have to grow bitter. So Jesus wasn't bitter even in the face of the cross. And then the third one in this framework, faith, hope, love. Love. Um, and when we talk about love, here's what the, here's what the scriptures say about it. Like the Apostle Paul, Ephesians uh, chapter 3, says that he's praying for God's people, including us. He's praying and he's, he's like, I want your life to be so rooted deeply in the love of God and God's love is so wide and so high and so deep and so broad that we could never even totally comprehend it. So I... I want your roots to go down. He pictures like our life is like a tree, right? It goes down deep and it draws its life from the love of God. And that's because as human beings, we're we're meant to run on love. Like a car is meant to run on gasoline, we're meant to run on love. And part of the reason relational hurt is so deep and bitterness is so easy is because, because it cuts at the roots of love for us, right? But if we're in Jesus... We have an eternal, undying source of love from which to draw our life from. Like our roots can go down deep into the very love of God. And again, this isn't just pie in the sky. Like, does God love you? Yes. How do you know? Because he sent his son and he gave up his life for you. Like, Like, there's only one person in my life, probably in yours too, who literally loved you to death. It's God in Christ literally loves you to death. Like, right? like, and our life can be rooted in that. And we can draw life out of that so that love becomes really the bedrock foundation of our life. It becomes the soil in which we live and, and grow and which our life flourishes in. Is this, this undying love for you who... who so devoted to you that he sent his son for you. And his son was so devoted to you, he gave up his life for you. Love, faith, hope, love. And again, I picture Jesus, this time hanging on the cross. And as he hangs there, the very people who nailed him are at his feet. The the religious leaders who hated him so much that they demanded his, his unjust, illegal execution... Right? They're, they're all gathered around him. And how does Jesus pray? Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. 
That, my friends, is love. That's grace. That's, that's the kind of love that he has for you and for me. We've all experienced that from him. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. This, faith, hope, love, is like, is like the home, the environment in which we, as followers of Jesus, live and move and have our being in. And it's this that makes it possible for us to, to go through life and experience loss and disappointment, hurt and wounding, and not grow bitter. Because, like, we know we're taken care of. We're loved infinitely. We have somebody who's on our side, God himself, who's on our side and has our back, and we'll take care of us. And he's going to work it all out, and he'll make all wrongs right someday. And he'll remove and vanquish all that's opposed to human flourishing, and he'll make our life beautiful and good someday. Our job is just to trust him and walk with him as we go through life. Deep relational trust. That's, that's where we live if we're in Christ. We live there. And so our life is shaped by that, and that gives us the resources to say, you know what, I'll do what Paul says. I'll get rid of all bitterness. I'll get rid of all bitterness because God is with me. I'll get rid of all bitterness because he's good and he loves me. And, and, and yet, and yet, I don't want to, I don't want to just say, so it's a piece of cake, right? Just... The reality is, is while all that's true and good and necessary and helpful, we still live in, we still live in a world between, you know, initial redemption and final salvation. We still live between Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection and new heavens and new earth, right? We still live in this world that's not all it's cracked up to be. And where we're, we're praying earnestly, God, would your kingdom come and your will be done? Because it's not happening right now, right? This is where we live, which is why there's relational hurt. Which is why even though we're made for relationship, relationships are so hard. Right? Which is why bitterness is such a real possibility. Because we live in this broken world. And so, as we live in this theological home, faith, hope, and love. Let me just offer two practices that can actually help us. In those moments where we identify bitterness in us, or something happens to us that could lead to bitterness. Two practices that can help us take the resources our theological gives us and say, I'm not going to become a bitter person. All right. So the first practice is this. Um, grieving our losses in the presence of God. Since disappointment and loss is real, um, in whatever way that shows up, we have to learn to grieve our losses. The 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 death of a marriage, maybe because our spouse died, maybe because they divorced us, um, the, the loss of friends, um, a career that didn't pan out, right? Uh, whatever it is, disease um, that now is, has made it so we can't do some of the things we used to enjoy, whatever it is, whatever kind of losses, big and small, we have to learn to grieve our losses and do so in the presence of God. This is not something I have been good at. I'm increasingly becoming aware that I haven't always done this well. Um, I don't know that the church has always encouraged us to do this really well. They've, they've told us we're supposed to be happy in the midst of our losses, right? Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Yes, but, but you've got to grieve those things too. So grieve our losses and do so in the presence of God. You realize as you read the Psalms that over half of the Psalms are laments, they're psalms of mourning, crying, grieving because of losses of life. 
And the Psalms can be a huge resource because they can help us learn how to pray our feelings too and grieve our losses too. We've got to learn how to grieve our losses and do so in the presence of God. And, and just be honest, feel the loss, feel the disappointment, admit the hurt, express that to God. And then again, trust that our Father is good. He's wise. He literally loves us to death. And he's going he's gonna to make everything good someday. It just hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so we live in that place, right? So grieve our losses. The, the second practice is something that you've already talked about in this series. And that's we've got to forgive the wrongs done to us. We've got to forgive the wrongs done to us. Wrongs are going to happen. In this broken world where we're, we're not to the new heavens and the new earth yet, wrongs are going to be done. Wounds are going to happen. Sometimes unintentionally to us, sometimes intentionally to us. People are going to hurt us. They're going to wrong us. They're going to betray us, right? They're going to stab us in the back. They're going to reject us. They're going to say mean things about us, right? There's going to be relational hurt. And, and even if they won't receive the forgiveness that we offer, we still have to grant grace for the sake of our own soul. If it's going to be well with our soul, we're going to have to forgive the wrongs done to us. And that simply means we, we let people off our hook and we leave them on God's hook. We just trust God to take care of them and deal with it. I don't have to right that wrong. I don't have to straighten that out. I am going to release them from paying that debt back. Matthew 18. I'm going to release them. And I'll let God deal with that. I'll let God sort that out. I'm not going to make them pay. And the reality is, is when it comes to forgiveness, it always costs because there is a price. If there is a real wrong, there is a cost. Someone's going to have to pay. When you forgive, what you're, doing to, you're, you're choosing to do is say, you know what? I'll absorb the debt. I'm not going to make them pay. And I'll let God sort all that out someday. We've got to do that. We've got to do that or life will eat us up and we will become bitter. And because we have these theological resources, faith, hope, and love, it makes it possible, right? Like we've been given such grace, we can do that. We can do that. And so we, we choose to do that. When I was uh, 20, 21 years old, I got news that my dad had died. <clears throat> now, my earliest childhood memory is the night my dad walked out on the family. I was three years old when my dad left. Um, I, I was sitting on the stairwell in the house we lived in in Tacoma, Washington at the time as a three-year-old boy, and I remember him grabbing his white nifty duffel bag, flinging it over his shoulder, walking out the, in, into a rainy night in Tacoma, Washington, three years old. Um, <clears throat> between the time I was three and the time he died, I saw my dad maybe five or six times. Virtually no relationship with my dad. Um, that's a wound. It's not a wound I chose. It's a wound he chose. He gave it to me, right? I grew up without a dad. Um, and so when I learned that my dad died, 21 years old, uh, I did not want to be a bitter person. I didn't know a whole lot about some of the stuff I just talked about. <laughs> but I knew that um, bitterness was a real possibility. Anger was a real possibility. I had a violent temper as a kid. And I'm sure some of it stemmed from some of that. I didn't want that to seep into my soul. I never really got the chance to patch things up with my dad and have a relationship with him, right? And I didn't want to become a bitter old man. Um, and so I think at the prompting of God's spirit and some wise advice I had heard over the last year or two prior to it, I decided, all right, you know what? I'm just going to do this just, just, just to make sure it's okay. So I got a chair. Nice. 
set one chair up, got another chair, sat another chair up, and I, I sat in one of the chairs and I imagined my dad in the other chair. Um, knee to knee, face to face. Um, and I said to my, my dad, um, Dad, I, I want you to know I forgive you for what you did to me, to make me be a little boy who grew up never knowing the love of father, to make me grow up never hearing a dad say, I'm proud of you, son, to never being there to cheer me on or being there for me to lean on you when I didn't know what to do. I forgive you for abandoning me and abandoning the family. And I think uh, we all have those things in our life where maybe we can actually have a real conversation with a person. Maybe we have to do something like I did with my dad. But if we're not going to become bitter people, we've got to forgive the wrongs that have happened to us in life. Life gives plenty of, plenty of opportunity for us to grow bitter. And bitterness is a perfect recipe for an unhappy life. And who wants that? Who wants that? So if we're going to follow Jesus, right, we're going to walk the way of the cross like Jesus. We will trust him. Not, your, not my will, God, but yours be done. We will live knowing that resurrection can happen, that God can bring life out of death, ultimate death and the little deaths along the way, that God can make something good of it, right? And we'll go about life knowing that we are completely and fully and 100% loved and nothing can separate us from the love of God. And as we live that way, as we live that way, it enables us to deal with life honestly, really, and yet free of bitterness and anger and resentment. And so as we, we move into a time of communion, hopefully you, you grabbed your communion on your way in, we've got simple little elements um, of the bread and the juice. And it's this that makes that possible. It's this, not... Not the emblems, but what they represent, right? Like, we have this great theological home that we live in because Jesus gave his life for you and for me. We can forgive others because Jesus forgave us. We, we can experience loss because we know that there is great hope because Jesus died and rose again. And so I just want to give you just a moment or two just to... to to take some time to reflect, to, to pray, to meditate, and to, to, to taste and see that the Lord is good. So just meditate on the goodness of God and what he's done for you and how he's given you this opportunity to live free of bitterness. And then here in a second, I will just lead us through taking the emblems. All right, so take a second and just pray and reflect.